welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Today, I am joined by PwC partner Anna Blackman. After graduating with a geography degree in 2001, Anna, like most graduates, had absolutely no idea what she wanted to do. Despite having little interest in the finance world or accountancy at the time, she started on the PwC graduate scheme that year. Still unsure of the path that she was on, the next few years Anna experienced a bout of depression and struggled with her mental health. Navigating those years was extremely difficult for Anna not helped by the fact that she was thrown into an intimidating corporate climate, which she had no experience of. At 24, she got married to her first love and the two of them travelled to Zanzibar. Using the time to explore and soak up a new culture, Anna revelled in the experiences this new venture had given her. Upon returning to the UK in her mid-twenties, Anna became a qualified accountant and met a partner at the PwC firm who invested a lot of time into her development. It was this mentor, in fact, who encouraged her growth and is one of the main reasons why now Anna is still at PwC today. Having been at the company for 19 years, Anna is now a mental health advocate at PwC and a business services sector leader. Anyone listening to Anna's condensed 20s journey might ask why she's featuring on a podcast meant for 20 not-somethings, given she found such a promising career and company who she's been with ever since she graduated. But if Anna's story has taught me anything, it's that even when people appear to know exactly what they're doing and where they're going, no one goes through life with absolute certainty. Anna, welcome to 20 Not Something. Thank you, Emma. It's lovely to be here. Good, I'm glad. Um, I will kick things off with the same question I ask everyone. um, And that is, when you were looking into your 20s decade, what was it that you wanted the most? Oh, gosh. What did I want the most? Well, in, in, I suppose in the early part, it would have been getting through university and, you know, getting a good outcome to that and then finding a job. I probably hoped I would figure out at some point what I would do. But mm. that, did, that, that, that was all accidental, all of the potted history you just gave. So <laughs> uh, I don't think I thought very far beyond my, you know, leaving university and finding a job to be honest. Mm. I think it's always a weird time, isn't it, when you come out because it's the first time in your life when there is absolutely no structure and everyone Mm. is doing completely different things. You know, some people are going traveling, some people are getting married, some people are having course life crises or whatever. And um, did you feel pressure when you left? You need to get a job straight away. Uh, Pressure I put on myself. I don't think I felt pressure from anybody else. I actually applied for the PwC graduate job before I'd finished my degree and to be completely honest it was a distraction technique from starting my dissertation (laughs) I find starting things that are big quite challenging so um I the January I just put off writing my dissertation and decided I'd see if I could find a graduate job instead Mm. um so it wasn't it wasn't deliberate but, but I think I put a lot of pressure on myself I didn't feel it from anybody else why do you think that was? Because I, I did exactly the same when I came out. I was like, oh, I need to, I felt this sort of, um, yeah, pressure to to do something. Um, but as you said, I think it is quite internalised. Yeah, I think 
I felt like I'd spent three years studying, uh, which we all know is not cheap, but it's even mm. more so these days. Um, and I wanted, I, I suspect the internal pressure came from wanting to make my parents proud. Um, not that they, not that they put the pressure on me, but that it felt like I had to do something to be successful. Mm. And I suppose, you know, my dad, um, and both my parents worked when I was a child and, and that, you know, that was a, I guess, an old house, a symbol of hard work and being successful. Mm, um, but sure. that didn't that didn't come from them really specifically it was and it also I suppose for me it was like it was the next thing you did uh I mm. never had a great desire to travel at that point um so it just seemed like the next logical step for me mm. and a couple of years into your graduate scheme at PwC you said that you experienced um some mental health issues um, and I, I realise this is a very personal question, so feel free not to go into it. But I just wondered if you could talk a bit about those years and 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 where you struggled with your mental health and, and how you got through them. Mm. So I was probably 22. I was about a year into the, my time with PwC when I started feeling quite well. And I felt quite physically unwell. So my arms and legs would hurt and I was tired all the time. And I, I suppose I was convinced there was something physically wrong with me. I was mm. prodded and poked and had blood tests and things. And then um, a doctor who didn't exactly handle it in the right way said to me, oh, I think this might all be in your head, which I kind of wow. at the time, yeah, <laughs> how not to uh, get someone to, to think about their mental health. So then for six months, I just sort of bumbled along and then I, I think after I'd had some time to reflect, actually, I realised that whilst he had delivered the message in a completely terrible way, he might well have been right. Mm. And I think, so what I found when I started at PwC is that I really struggled with, uh, I used to spend a fair amount of time on my own, um, just because of the shape of the team I worked in. It's not actually a very normal graduate experience for PwC. But I struggled with almost this pressure to feel like I needed to know everything. So sort of go into PwC um, and then get sent out and go to talk to clients who, and so I did a lot of audit work. So you'd have to go and talk to someone about the payroll or things like that. And I, I really struggled with the need to feel like I was an expert because until that point, I kind of had mm. been, you know, um, I did a geography degree because I because I liked it and because I guess I was I seemed to thrive doing that. But then I you get thrust into this corporate world where actually you go crap. I don't actually know how this anything, works, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know anything. Like I've done all of this abstract studying and I haven't got a clue. And I think I found that quite hard. Mm. Um, and what I learned, I think, uh, how did I handle that? I think was part of your question. I learned at that point to be more open with people about the things I was finding difficult. Mm. And that's been a feature actually throughout my career since that point um, in that I try to verbalise the things I find difficult because I've, I've come to the conclusion that the people sitting around me probably are finding the same things difficult, but no one's quite, you know, we're all sitting there not looking at each other, but not actually saying what we really feel. And mm. and that kind of notion to put on a brave face 
I've just stopped trying to put on a brave face, to be honest. And if I'm having a bad day, I'll talk to someone about it. And and I've all and I guess I've learned to share the things I find difficult as a way of helping other people. Because I mm. I'm, I'm always convinced I'm not the only one sitting there going, I haven't got a clue what is going on, but no one else wants to say it. Yeah, it's really interesting how we do all just keep everything locked up inside. Ooh. And I don't even know why. It's like, are we trying to save face? Are we ashamed? Is it like taboo? Like, why Why can't, you know? And I think I'm always afraid of people thinking, oh, she's really negative, you know, or yeah. she's really, you know, she brings me down. And it's like everyone has bad days. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's something that that is really difficult when you're going through something like that because you feel the need to just pretend that it's all fine. Yeah. And I think when you're at school and at college and at university, there's a mutual sharing of the things that are difficult because you find the people that you go and study with or you have friends where you uh, there's an instinctive desire to help each other. I think Mm. when you're sort of in a formal education setting and then you sort of you go into this this kind of corporate world and actually you don't know anybody really. um, Mm. And everyone is. Is, you know, is is you know back when I started with the firm, everyone came to work in a suit. It's not like that at all anymore. I regularly <laughs> go to work in my jeans, uh, which is nice. But but this kind of corporate image, I think that people have, and I still think it's really prevalent today of mm. having to be polished and well spoken and kind of um, yeah, so like this archetypal person in a suit who is you know really professional and talks really nicely and doesn't have feelings at work because why would we need to have feelings at work um sure. and I think we hide them and I and I think it's hard to find the people it's harder to find the people that you trust when you're thrust into this environment with a load of people you don't know yeah for sure I I have no experience of the corporate finance world but is it is it quite a lot did you feel that there was competition around you surrounding your peers or or <laughs> yeah so I suppose Pete PwC hires, I don't know, 1,400 graduates a year. Wow. Um, and you do have a peer group. Um, and, yeah, I think it probably is quite competitive, um, but but in, a, in not a very overt way. So, you, you know, when you're at school, kind of you know if someone gets an A in something. So usually, whereas it's a bit more, um, it's not, it's not, as transparent I suppose as it might be when you're at school they don't teach you this stuff at university like what is it like to work in a corporate environment and how do you navigate that now maybe they do now but when you did a geography degree they didn't teach you any of this stuff so you go into this new job from university and you're basically making it up as you go along Mm. and everyone else is doing the same thing but none of us are talking to each other about the fact we're all making it up as we go along Mm. Um, unless you find that person who actually you connect with. And that's one of the reasons we hire cohorts of graduates and we induct them all at the same time is to try and help them build those relationships early on in their career. And Mm. actually I've got some friends who I met when I first started with the firm who are still friends now. Mm. So, but it's a completely different environment. Um, But everyone's making it up as they go along just to reassure people. No one's got it nailed. (laughs) <laughs> which is hard to believe when you're in that environment I'm sure and you're sort yeah. of surrounded by people um do you think then because you're still obviously at PwC now have you seen a change in the way that mental health is approached um in terms of perpetuating the message and for graduates coming in now yeah. it has changed in the past five years um 
it's completely changed. So we launched a, a sort of a mental health strategy five years ago. Um, and that's when we launched our mental health advocates program, which is one of the first things that we did, which was six partners who were open about their own mental health and the challenges that they'd had and and were signposted as a source of support for people if they didn't. I mean, there's all sorts of sources of support people can get in the firm, but if they didn't know where to start or they needed a confidential conversation with someone, you know, they could go and talk to those six partners. And I was one of those. Um, and we've now got 22, I think, mental health advocates across the firm. And they're all the most senior people in the firm because the first thing we wanted to do was um, have the most senior people in the firm talking about mental health, talking about their own experiences, because actually that gives everyone else permission in the organisation to talk about it as well. Mm. And we have come such a long way. I think, in how we approach mental health in terms of um, the support we provide people in their day-to-day jobs, the support they can get if they need some mental health support, you know, what happens if someone goes off work and needs to have a the time off. And actually, we very specifically now, you know, mental health and well-being and managing stress, all those sorts of things is part of the graduate induction programme. And when I started, it, it it wasn't even something we really talked about. So we we have come a massively long way it makes me super proud actually um, yeah I bet having sort of experienced that and yeah. then gone through it and then to see yeah. that that is changing that must be really rewarding yeah um so going back to you then when mm. you you traveled to Zanzibar and got married that's like a huge part of your 20s <laughs> well so I got married yeah I got married when I was 24 so I met my mm. husband uh when I was 19 in a bar of all places um in Southampton and just before I went back to my second year at university um and he and I have been pretty much inseparable since and we got married in 2004 and then we traveled to Zanzibar for our honeymoon which was awesome and that sort of started a theme of hot sunny holidays in the winter um (laughs) just to get some sunshine um but it was interesting because most of my friends weren't married at that point um it seemed more unusual to get married at, at the age of 24 than perhaps it might have been, you know, when my mum and dad were young. But um, yeah. we had a very little wedding and an expensive honeymoon. And yeah, uh, I still I, I managed to still be together 20 years later, 21 oh, years later. In fact. Congratulations. That yeah. is amazing. <laughs> makes me feel really old when I say <laughs> that. And yeah. I mean, getting married in your mid twenties, mm. uh, obviously now it is a lot less common, but yeah. it does happen still. Um, mm. And you said obviously that your, you know, your peers around you, it didn't really, mm. it, it wasn't that common for you either. Um, like, was that ever? Did that ever come into your head that this was something that you were doing and no one else was? It did actually, and it, it even came before that. So, um, Mark's a, Mark is six years older than me. So I had to go home and tell my dad that I'd met a 25-year-old man in a bar. <laughs> and I remember that being really awkward. Um, and then Mark proposed. We'd known each other three or four months later. Wow. So at this point, I'm 20. And I he proposed, and I remember feeling quite... Um, this is going to sound terrible 
almost embarrassed to tell people because it or not I don't know if embarrassed is the word but I felt like people were judging me for the Mm. fact that I was quite young and I hadn't known him very long and Mm. he actually was divorced um wow and I remember when he sort of started we started talking about it long before he proposed I was like you can't possibly want to marry me you've already married somebody once and you know that wasn't exactly successful and and I remember him saying to me that's how I know um but I remember feeling like I was going to get judged um even even I was worried about telling my mum and dad but they loved Mark to death so it wasn't that they didn't like him just that I was really young Mm. um so it was it I spe- I've probably worried about that more then than when I got married because by the time we got married, I was kind of over the fact that people might think it was I was too young. Yeah, we'd been, been together five years by that point, um, yeah. and we were living together and things like most people do these days. So, um, and we just desperately wanted to be married. Or, or we didn't have a very we didn't have a big fancy wedding. We just wanted to be married, and so so we did. Mm. I got everybody else. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and you you definitely took that leap of faith, and it, it's paid off enormously. Obviously, you're still yeah. together. So, um, so when you came back to the UK, then you became an accountant. Um, were you sure that that was what you wanted? Because I always think when you leave uni and you go onto a grad scheme, like yeah. many people do, and they're there for a couple of years, and then they're like, oh, actually, I don't know if this is for me. Um, or were you very sure that you know the accountant was the one? I had really? no, no, absolutely not. So when I started, so I thought when I was in my last year of university and I was distracting myself from starting my dissertation, um, I was convinced I wanted to be a civil servant and I wanted to join the civil servant civil service fast stream, which is like their graduate program, um, because I'd done some economics and politics stuff. So I did like human geography, not rocks and rivers geography. And uh, to join the civil service fast stream, they have you have to do a whole day of aptitude tests. <laughs> Turns out I'm not clever enough to be a civil servant. Um, and with hindsight, I'm really, really glad I didn't. Um, but I saw an advert in the paper for PwC, and it was to go and work, to join their graduate scheme, but work in their public sector part of the business. So working with the public sector. Mm. And I I don't even know if I knew I was going to be an accountant, really. I certainly don't think I knew I, that meant I was going to be trained to be an auditor because that's how you, that's how it works, PwC. I don't think I knew I was going to be an auditor. I knew I might. Mm. But so I had no, 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 no idea, really, and no desire to you know be an accountant or be in finance because it just I felt like I needed to find a job on a graduate scheme so I did and I like everyone else once you land think you'll you'll do your exams stay for three years and then do something else mm. uh and 19 years later I'm still here <laughs> um, um why so I'm not excuse why do I think why? I'm still there yeah because my I suppose Whilst I've had, people often say to me, oh my God, how can you possibly have worked at the same place for that long? The reality is with an organisation like PwC is I've I've had lots of different jobs, really. Mm. So I've worked with loads of different organisations in the public sector. I've worked um, with clients in the private sector. I've been to work, I've been on a client's comment twice, which means you go and you work at a client like you're a member of staff. I've done that twice. Very recently, I've done one, and I did one about 15 years ago. 
Um, and I've worked in different parts of the country and I've had lots of different roles. So actually, it's not it's not like I've had one job for 19 years. The wonderful thing about PwC is if you get bored, you can just go and find something else to do. Mm. Um, but the thing that's really kept me there are the people. Um, yeah. So Yeah. That makes a massive difference, I think, when you join any organisation like... I know for me in TV, it's it's massively about who you work with um, mm. and that, that affects your whole job, really. So, yeah, I definitely understand that. Yeah, it does. Definitely. I mean, the people I work with, I've got lifelong friends of people I've worked with. Um, and, you know, we've been on holiday and things like that. And and it it is the people. It's so important, mm. the people you work with. And, and, yeah, that's what's kept me there. Mm. So looking back then to sort of 22-year-old Anna, what <laughs> if you could go back and tell her, you know, one thing, what what would it be? If I could tell her one thing, focus on you and the things you can control and mm. don't worry about the things that you can't. Yeah, I need to take that advice, definitely. Well, I still I need to take that advice, Emma, because... I, you know, it's something I still struggle with, but I've spent a lot, I spent a lot of time and energy in my twenties worrying about what other people thought about me. And I still do. It's still, it's an ongoing battle. Um, and I just, you, the thing is, we're all trying to find our way through life and you might think people are judging you. The reality is they're just trying, they're probably not even, they probably haven't even noticed or, you know, <laughs> everyone's chart, trying to chart their own path and, you can only control what you can can control. So just don't try and just don't worry about the things you have no control over. And I think kind of these days that's even more important because the world's gone a bit bonkers. I mean, who'd have thought if you just said 12 months ago, we'd be in a global pandemic, we'd all been stuck at home working for six months. We'd have laughed probably. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I did worry a lot about things like all, all sorts of things when I was in my twenties. Um, but I think you have to focus on the things you can control and, and the things that you can change if you want to change and then sort of go from there. Cool. Thank you for that. We are going to go on to play Millennial Minesweeper now. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to read you out a few quotes and you're going to tell me whether you agree with them um, and we're just going to talk about them really. So the first one is... Now is your opportunity to mess up a few times, work in a job you hate, get back up and find your dream job. And that was from 12 Things You Should Do in Your 20s. Do you know what? I think that's absolutely spot on. I think you have to make some mistakes in life because actually you learn from those and not even necessarily things that are really hard. I always, just, I always say to my teams, if things go absolutely according to plan, then we're not learning anything. So mm. I like big, difficult things because I know that's when I'm learning. And, and I think t you do have to take some risks and hoover up the experiences that present themselves, mm. even if you don't think you're going to enjoy it or you don't want to do it forever. I think any experience you have can be something you learn from. And Life, you know, your working life is really long and even longer for those, you know, guys who are in their 20s now, probably. So actually spending some time figuring out what you do like doing and what you absolutely hate doing, I think is I think is really important. 
Yeah, for sure. I struggle with the quote only when it says, get back up and then find your dream job, because this concept of dream job, I don't know, it's like, you can't just say to someone, go and find your dream job, because A, that can change like quite drastically throughout your lifetime. But also like, it's really hard to nail down a specific industry that you want. And even then, even harder to get into it. So um, a dream job kind of implies that life is all you know you're going to have a job and you're going to be happy forever mm-hmm. and that and that actually you might you and I just I'm not sure that's our reality no, um not. and I don't if you would say what's your dream job I don't even know that I don't I could answer that because I'm not mm-hmm. I, as I keep saying to people I haven't figured out what I'm going to do when I'm a grown-up yet and I'm 41 <laughs> no I'm not I'm 40 um I I still feel like that 18 year old child in my head not at what 18 not a child but my I haven't figured out what I want to be when I'm a grown up. So how can you, how can 20 year olds have figured out what they want to be? And dream job I'm a realist and there's a re- there is a you have to love what you do but you can love it for different reasons and it doesn't have to be your dream job um but it might be a stepping stone too if you know what that is but if you feel really passionately and you absolutely know what your dream job is then then go after it hard like because mm. You know, most but most of us don't know what that is. No, and it's reassuring to know that that is actually true. Like most people don't know what they want, and no. that changes. So. I'd say ninety percent of the people I've met at my in my working life had no idea what they were going to do, and have sort of ended up where they've ended up a bit by accident, and there's been a bit of luck along the way. So mm. no, no one's got it completely figured out. I don't think. <laughs> Mm-hmm. cool so our next one is new research reveals that our 20s are the most worrying times of our lives with three quarters of those in their 20s saying they feel worried all the time i thought that was quite interesting because I'd, I'd planned these before but obviously we've spoken about you know how worried you are but on that note obviously you've been through your 30s as well do you think you were more worried in your 20s your 30s yeah i think i probably was mm. I think so the the yeah I'd say I spent more of my 20s um, apologies if you can hear my dog barking in the background <laughs> um I would I I was definitely more anxious and worrisome in my 20s mm. and I to some extent I almost it's like there's a lot of pressure to feel like you're doing well in your 20s and you're still quite defined by I guess parents potentially so what your family's expectations might be of you you're still very I I was certainly quite focused on what's everyone around me doing and am I doing as well and am I as good as them Mm. Um, and I worried quite a lot about I I was a catastrophizer in my 20s and what I mean by that is something even if something quite small happened uh, my brain would automatically what's the worst case scenario Um, and as I've gotten older I found some strategies for coping with that um yeah so. I totally relate to catastrophizing I do exactly the same thing yeah. and again back to what we we're talking about earlier you know things that are completely out of your control yeah. um and you just you know worry yeah worry about things which are actually it, it's just wasted energy because mm. regardless of you're worrying about it or not it's not going to change because you can't control it um no. so yeah I definitely relate to that yeah. um so our final one is Marriage just consumes less space in the lives of single women and in our culture than it once did. Whoa, 
that's a mm. philosophical marriage can change less space in the lives of single women than before <sighs> i don't think you can put people in boxes i don't think the, i my personal mm. view is all all the single women are different and so do people worry about it does it consume as much i don't do you know what i don't know Mm. Um, I thought it was an interesting one. It was written two years ago um, yeah. in Stylist magazine, but I think there definitely has been a shift. You know, more single women are like, I don't want to get married. I, I'm not bothered. I'm going to do me. Yeah, um, you're right. But like personally, in my close cohort of friends and peers, most women I know at some point do want to get married still. So I haven't personally experienced that as much but I'm aware that it is yeah yeah. I so I I I would say my friends all the people I certainly I work with and my friends I agree with you they I think most of the women I know would like to be married at some point or or married might be have a loving stable relationship whether Mm. you choose to get married or not you know I think people we are so we're mammals right we we are designed to want comfort and mm. love and compassion and all of those things it's a very uh it's a very biologically driven thing when you get into the science of it and so mm. but do i think women now are more comfortable saying well actually my career is as important as the other parts of my life and i'm not mm. going to give that up to get married um so it's interesting when I when I met Mark um he they they have a very traditional um household set up in that his dad goes out to work and his mum worked a bit part-time but his dad's you know dinner's always on the table at five o'clock and and um Mark and I are the complete opposite to that in fact Mark is the one who does the majority of the childcare, um Mm. not me and he was all I mean I was he was I was about to say I was really lucky he was always really understanding in my career what does that tell you about how I was brought up that's interesting isn't it Mm, that is interesting I think I think women are less focused on it in their 20s but probably get more focused on it maybe in their 30s actually I want I think maybe just the timeline shifted a bit because your biological clock does start ticking um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, you can't pick up a paper for reading about how you know you need to have a baby before you're forty. Otherwise, it's really difficult. Um, <laughs> so I wonder if it's it's later and women have a more focus on their career in their twenties. I certainly did actually. Mm. Getting yeah. married was just a nice thing to do because Mark and I wanted to be married. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't. Uh, I have to get married, kind of thing. But sure. I think the yeah. times all sort of shifted out a bit. Well, it has. And, you know, people, as you said, are working longer, but also changing what they want to do later. So, Ooh. you know, I personally don't want to have children until I'm in my 30s, just because there's no time to get to where I want yeah. to be before then until I do that. And I know that that's going to be a, you know, you always have to make sacrifices in that respect. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I remember uh, saying to Mark, well, we can have a baby when I get to be a senior manager. Because you know, then we'll be well, they'll be financially stable enough, and you know we'll be able to afford having a baby. And then when I got, I was like, oh, I'm not quite ready. Uh, mm. so, so then, 
right, when we when I get to director, maybe we'll have a baby then. Um, <laughs> and then actually it turned out it was quite difficult to have a baby. So he spent all this time trying not to get pregnant. And then it for me, it turned out it was quite difficult. So he didn't arrive till I was 35. Um, but positive story on that, I went into the PwC partner process whilst I was on maternity leave. So, um, which is quite unusual, but is a sign of the shift in terms of the perspective people have on women having babies these days. Um, but yeah, it's, Mm. um, I do think people are waiting longer because actually there's so much they want to do in their twenties that, um, and it does that the, it's a really nice time of your life if you can you know, not worry about everything like we just talked yeah. about. And um, I suppose have some freedom and some experience before you have children. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Anna. Um, that was a really fun chat and I really enjoyed it. So thank you for reassuring me at least that um, nobody really has their shit together anymore. <laughs> no, no one, no one has their shit together. And I think the more you can you can stop worrying about what other people are, are thinking, you know, about you or, or judging it. They're not, they're just trying to try and find their own way. So, um, yeah. And the world is crazy at the moment. So, um, you know, focus on the things you can control and, and don't worry about the rest of the stuff. But I, look, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Emma. It's been really fun. As always, a big thanks to the composer and producer of this podcast, Pete Hack, and a huge thank you to you guys at home for listening. I love hearing your suggestions and reading your reviews, so please do keep them coming in. And yeah, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will see you very soon.